Hi guys, welcome to season five, episode three of the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast. Today, we're talking about the fact that we are an obese society, why it is, and why it's not helpless, why we definitely have things we can do to combat this problem. And actually, we're going to break down six very doable, simple ways that we can combat the obesity that tends to creep into every American's life in one way or another. So at the same time that we are eating more calories than ever before, and some of that's simply because we're eating a lot of processed food and it is much higher in calories, there's other reasons too. At a society, we're just eating more, but we're also living very sedentary lifestyles. Compared to just a few decades ago, our lifestyles are so much more sedentary. And at the same time, as like a triple whammy, we don't even know where our food comes from. We don't even really care where our food comes from. We just want convenience because we are living stressful, exhausted, busy lives. We think that the only thing that matters about our food is convenience. We've talked about that in a couple other episodes before on this podcast, and it is absolutely a lie. We do not need convenient food. We need healthy food. So all of these things lead to obesity. It's inevitable. There was a study done in 2019, and I spent a good while searching. I realized I could certainly have missed it, but I couldn't find a study more recent than 2019 that really clarified for me our obesity epidemic, the current stats on our obesity in the nation. I couldn't find anything more relevant than 2019. So if you guys have your finger on the pulse of this scientific knowledge, please reach out to me and share it with me. But the Harvard study that I will link in the show notes broke down the fact that in 2019, half, I'm sorry, <laughs> the study was in 2019, and it was arguing, and it gives different reasons why, that by the year 2030, half of the U.S. will be obese. I think, I think it was 41% they determined. I should have noted that um, in 2019 was obese. But then they explain why they believe that will escalate to literally one in every two people in America will be obese in just a few more years in 2030. Before we dive into this even more, I want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this episode, and it is True Leaf Market. And I want to let you know that as of the time that this airs, you only have a few more days to take advantage of the really great special that they are offering to all of my podcast listeners. If you've heard this in the past few episodes and you thought, you know, I should check into that and you haven't done it, don't hesitate. Now is the time. Go to solelyrested.com slash seeds, S-E-E-D-S, and use the link there, use the code there and take advantage of that special offer. $10 off $50 order and free shipping. Um, and I've been explaining how their seeds are amazing and why I only buy my seeds from True Leaf. I also only go there for all my sprouting necessities, my sprout garden, my sprout seeds. But 
I got to tell you, they're lids. I use them so many times a day for storage of food. If you want to start having more real food in your kitchen and in your pantry, you definitely need to consider how you're storing it. Also, we're going to get later in this episode, we're going to get into the fact that real food costs more. It's just a fact. So you need to buy in bulk. You need to store your food. And True Leaf has solutions on both ends. My immediate storage in my cabinet in the kitchen and my longer term storage in the root cellar in the basement. They have lids for both. Their stainless steel lids are high quality stainless steel. They're never going to rust. They're never going to um, corrode. And they have an amazing seal like I have found nowhere else. I mean, I looked years for a lid this good until I found True Leaf and their lids. So they're that good. And then for my bulk storage, I use their smart lids. You might think when you look at them, they look like gamma seal lids. Trust me, they are not. They are a much higher quality. Gamma changed their quality many years ago. And there's a lot of problems with them cracking when you twist them too tightly. But these lids are a higher quality. They are amazing. They have lasted me for many years that I've been using them. I use them all the time and I love them. They're called smart seal lids. So check out these lids and all the other great options. Take advantage of that offer, solelyrested.com slash seeds, S-E-E-D-S, solelyrested.com slash seeds. Please go check it out because I only get this really special offer once or twice a year and they have so many great things to, to enjoy this offer with. So what actually is obesity? I remember the first time that Bill came home from the doctor. This was probably 15 plus years ago. And he's like, I'm obese. And I'm like, really? Like, cause he didn't look like what I would call obese, but he and the doctor had talked about what obesity is. By the way, it's kind of hard to find a good doctor who will tell you this and talk to you about it. So if you don't have a doctor that will help you through this, you might want to do some searching for one who would, because I find that today, for some reason, doctors just shy away from this very important thing. I mean, they need to be honest with us and they need to tell us if we are obese, we're too high on the BMI scale and we need to improve that because it affects everything in our life. Anyway, I remember thinking, that's weird. I wouldn't use the word obese to describe Bill. And that's the first time that I learned what actually the BMI scale is. It stands for Body Mass Index, BMI. And it actually is pretty simple to determine if you are obese. And I will be totally upfront and honest with you. I currently fall right on the line on the BMI scale. Even after losing the weight that I have, I've told you all, I think many times, I still need to lose at least another 10 pounds to be to my ideal weight where I want to be, where I will be healthy and really in the best shape that I can be, I feel like, for my height. Um, and that's not putting me low on the BMI scale. There could be, I could fall a lot more if I wanted to lose more, get more worried about that. But anyway, I currently, where I stand, fall right on the line of being considered obese. And it's it's kind of eye-opening because I don't know when it happened in general, but I think all of us, for some reason, when we hear the word obese, we think somebody is morbidly obese, but they're very different, very different. And obesity is simply based on where you fall with your comparison of your fat to your muscle and to your height. 
So it's actually really easy to determine your BMI and to get a feel for, do I need to change a few things? Do I need to improve my overall weight to improve my overall health? I will leave a link in the show notes for a BMI chart that you can use. And all you need to know is your weight and your height, and it will, it'll break it down for you. But in general, you're not considered obese until your body weight is at least 20% higher than it should be for your given height. So you see what I'm saying that when I lose 10 more pounds, I'm still slightly over the weight that is ideal for my body height. So that's what I'm meaning that, you know, there's lots of um, room there to be very healthy and have quite a fluctuation on that BMI scale, if that makes sense. Um, but the most common way, you know, to determine quote unquote obese is to use this scale. In 2010, this was a study done that I will link. I think the CDC did this study. Um, I will link this in the show notes as well. But in 2010 versus 1970, it's really crazy the difference of how we fall for our body mass index and a average man of average height weighed 20 pounds more in 2010 than he would have in 1960. What I thought was even sadder and crazy is that an 11-year-old boy, according to this study, weighed 19 pounds more in 2010 than he would have in 1960. 19 pounds on an 11-year-old boy's body frame is a lot. I think that's more severe than 30 pounds more on a grown man. And it's really sad too, because 11-year-olds, like they shouldn't have a problem with their weight. They are in general by nature, especially 11-year-old boys, active outside, making good lifestyle choices. Um, until you add in the electronics, the social media, the computers. Now, granted, in 1960, there were TVs and radios and other things to make 11-year-old boys sedentary, but they weren't nearly as enticing as our current screens, right? So, um, oh, um, your, your BMI, I should have explained, I'm just looking at my notes. If it falls between 18.5 and 25, and this is the number you get when you divide, what is it? The kilograms of your weight by your meters in height, something like that. I don't know. The chart just automatically gives you a number. If you fall between 18.5 and 25, then you are considered within the healthy weight range. And I currently am sitting at about 25.5. So I'm kind of right on the line. But the BMI scale can wind up, I mean, it's not perfect for sure. One thing it definitely does not take into account, which is a big negative, a big problem, is muscle weighs more than fat. So you could be getting a higher score on the chart when you're an extremely healthy athlete who's very muscular, right? Um, and it could also underestimate the body fat in people who are older and others who have you know, lost muscle for any reason. So it definitely is far from perfect, but it's a good start. And for me, it was an eye opener, big time. 
Also, before we go any further, I probably should have said this right up front. I want to recognize something. There are absolutely positively medical issues that lead to you being a certain weight to go with your height. I absolutely want to recognize that. And there are some people that they're always going to be a higher weight for whatever the medical issue is. I don't want to undermine that. I don't want to ignore that fact. And you know, you know, you, you know, what's healthy for you. You know, what genuinely feels good, what gives you energy. And you know, if you have your own reasons that you are not some ideal number, whether it's an ideal number on a scale or an ideal number on the BMI scale. Um, So I don't want to discourage in any way. And I do want to point out that you absolutely can be your absolute healthiest, most nutritious, most vibrant you and not meet some certain number. Um, Okay. So ironically in today's society, we're, obese because we're rushed. And I really liked this quote that I found from the founder of the international slow food movement. His name is Carlo Petrini. He said, the quest for slowness, which begins as a simple rebellion against the impoverishment of taste in our lives, makes it possible to rediscover taste. I'm going to read that again. The quest for slowness, which begins as a simple rebellion against the impoverishment of taste in our lives, makes it possible to rediscover taste. So if you break it down, he's saying the first step towards a healthier life and towards enjoying good food, the first step is realizing basically, guys, our food is crap, (laughs) to put it bluntly. Season three, episode four, dove very deep into this very fact, why what we're eating is literally killing us. And I mentioned a lot of scientific studies and it's it's a good listen. So that's season three, episode four, if you'd like to know more about my thoughts on that. But once we realize our food is crap, <laughs> then we start craving more time. We start wishing we could have a more slow down schedule. And if it's important enough to us, if we understand deeply enough how bad the processed food is for us, then it becomes imperative that we carve out more time so that we can make real food. It's just a have to. And the final step in this whole process, according to Mr. Petrini, is that we suddenly start rediscovering taste. We start rediscovering a genuine love for food. It's not something that has to serve us in convenience. It's something that becomes a source of our passion, a source of our joy. It just is amazingly delicious if we slow down take the time to make the real food and take the time to enjoy it. I know for myself, I am enjoying making food now in the past few years of my life than I ever have before. I mean, genuinely, I get happy every day in my kitchen when I flip on my grain mill and I start milling some fresh flour. 
there's something about the sound of it. There's something about the texture of tossing in those wheat berries. There's something about watching that flower come out that's magical, that in just seconds, that hard wheat berry turns into this amazing powder of flour. There's something about the feel of the powder. There's something about the smell. It has a nutty aroma. And I don't, I can't explain it any more than that, except to tell you that every single time it makes me happy. And I, I can't even count how many times I've used my grain mill over the past few years, sometimes many times a day, but every time, every time it makes me happy. And there's so many other things like that. That's not the only thing in my kitchen. That's just the one that I did right before we started recording that I thought of just now. But I mean, details about brewing my own kombucha the smiles that it gives me. Like I can't control the smile sometime when I start flavoring a kombucha and I get so excited about the, the end result of my second ferment. I mean, maybe I'm weird, <laughs> but I think Carlo Petrini is right. And I think he is onto something that there is truly an amazing joy to rediscovering real food and to really discovering the taste that it gives you. So why on earth, if real food is this amazing, then it begs the question, why on earth are we so separated from real food? Why are we so separated from the source of our food? And I think we talked about this back in season three too. I think it comes down to primarily, first and foremost, the fact that there are a lot of people benefiting financially a lot of industries benefiting financially from us being detached from our food. There's a lot of industries benefiting from our ill health, from our obesity, from our addiction to the processed food. It's a true addiction, by the way, like genuine. Um, so what are some of the forces in society that are benefiting from our problem with obesity? Well, there's the diet industry. It's huge. The pills that they will sell you and the exercise videos they will sell you and all of the other things that are making a lot of money. I'm not saying there's something wrong with exercise videos. Trust me, that's good. But there's a lot of money being made. Then there's the healthcare industry. If they can see you get obese, see your blood pressure rise and prescribe some really expensive pills that you need to take every day for the rest of your life to help with that blood pressure, they are benefiting. There's the drug industry, right? All connected with the health industry. And of course, there's the food industry itself that are benefiting so much by convincing us that we are better off opening up a, a pretty colored, nicely decorated cardboard box, ripping open a plastic bag and pouring some fake chemical laden powder that's supposed to be cheese on some pasta that we are much better off doing that than if we simply got real cheese and made real mac and cheese. There's a huge industry, the whole food industry, that's benefiting by us being addicted to processed food. So the other problem that <clears throat> is not necessarily a marketing problem, it's a problem with our mindset, is the real food is always going to cost more. If you want to buy fresh strawberries, the amount that it, the amount of calories that you would 
get, which are good. Calories are really good. We need them for energy. We need them to build our cells and our body, right? Like we have this crazy idea that, oh, I have to count calories and reduce them. No, you need good calories from real food. But the amount of calories that fresh strawberries would give you for a dollar's worth of strawberries, it's about 40 calories. <clears throat> but if you want to go out and buy a bag of, I don't know, candy corn or some other really bad, crappy, sugary candy, for $1 worth of it, you're probably going to get about 2,000 calories. So that's a huge difference, right? I am never going to deny real food to give you the amount of calories that you need or to give you any benefit. Not that candy corn gives you benefit. I think you know what I might mean here. It's going to cost you more, for sure. So those are all the negatives, all the things we're battling against when we are trying to beat this epidemic of obesity and beat this problem, this mindset involved with processed food. It's a lot of problems we have to overcome. But what about if we have a healthy BMI? What about if we are exercising and eating well? What are some of the benefits that we will gain? Because I need to always think about that. If I'm going to fight this uphill battle and fight all of these problems that I'm facing to do the right thing, I need to know the benefits. First of all, if you can improve your BMI, if you can get healthier, you are going to start preventing the likelihood that you're going to develop so many health issues, starting with cancer. Like it can literally either slow down the growth of cancer or can prevent the growth of cancer if you have a healthier lifestyle. It can prevent diabetes. It can prevent arthritis. So many health problems if you improve your lifestyle. And then there's the whole, uh, this is heavy on my mind coming finally to the end of a very long winter in New England. Um, a healthier lifestyle is going to help you fight anxiety and depression. It's amazing the difference that have been found in scientific studies of people who are healthier and scoring better in their BMI than people who are scoring really poorly. And the difference in their outlook on life, the difference in their depression, their suicidal tendencies, it's real. It is very real. And then there's the whole cognitive thing that I'm always fascinated with because my dad battled early stages of Alzheimer's before he passed away. And I, I think it's probably because of my lack of getting enough high quality sleep more than anything. And that's something I need to work on desperately. I'm looking forward to that episode in this season, by the way, all about sleep, because I need to be preaching to myself about that one. But for whatever the reason, I have found in the past, I don't know, decade of my life that I tend to do things that look a little bit like Alzheimer's. Like I tend to forget very simple things that I should not forget. I tend to, you know, walk into a room and be like, what the heck am I doing here? Um, and I think well, I know that the more I work on being more nutritious and healthier, the more my cognitive issues are going to improve. And that's only going to get better as I age. The healthier I am, the more I focus on working towards being healthier, the le less likely that I'm going to develop 
Alzheimer's, less likely that I'm going to have cognitive problems and my brain is just going to plain old work better. Okay. So, um, I shared back in season four, episode 13, the last episode of last season, six tips that helped me lose weight, get healthier starting last spring and into the summer. And as I was working on preparing this episode, I realized all six of those correlate to a more old-fashioned lifestyle, like back to the 1960s and prior, like that study that said we weighed a lot less, right, than today. And I thought we can kind of break that down a little bit about why those six different ways of leading a healthier life are more old-fashioned and why we should be looking at our lifestyle in a more old-fashioned way, striving for something a little more old-fashioned, a little less modern. I had explained that number one and foremost is real food, getting rid of the processed and eating real food. And I started thinking about, by the way, these six things and looking at them through the eyes of like my grandparents. And of course, real food was mostly what they had back in the 30s, the 40s, they did have access to, I don't know when Twinkies were created, but they did have access to packaged, you know, baked goods like that and some junk food for sure. They were using refined flour for sure. But for the most part, they were eating, especially my grandparents who were living in rural West Virginia, who lived very far from the general store, much further from a city. They were living mainly on real food that they were growing and preserving themselves. Um, and I mean, for the most part, my grandmother, that was really her job pretty much was to make sure there was food available for her family of 12. She had 10 kids and she therefore had time to spend in her day to do the meal prep, to preserve the food and all the other things involved with that. And then another thing that I pointed out was sleep and you know, grandma and grandpa, they were much better at sleeping than we are today because when it was dark, you slept. You did not have a great source of light typically. I mean, they were still using oil lamps in their old farmhouse till pretty late. Um, and you also knew there were animals that needed X, Y, and Z at 6 a.m. There were cows to be milked, eggs to be gathered, and slop to go out to the pigs and the animals were expecting this or needing this attention early in the morning and they knew they'd have to get up early. So sleep was not something that they squabbled over. They knew they needed it and they went to bed early. Um, what about stress? I had explained that eliminating stress in any way possible is going to help lead to a better lifestyle. And that one's kind of a conundrum for me in the sense that I know they had stress back in the 30s, 40s that we don't have today because we have modern convenience that I am very thankful for in a lot of ways. And they had stress over, will the amount of flour that we have last us until I can get to a store or wherever and you know buy more flour? Will the amount of vegetables that I preserved from my garden last year, is it going to last me through to feed the 10 kids? until there's more vegetables ready next summer to be to be eaten. Like they had genuine stress that we don't have today, but 
On the other hand, we have the entire world's problems right in our hand, on our phone all the time. Worse than that, we don't just know about the world's problems, but we get the commentaries on what everybody thinks about how horrible these problems are, right? On social media and our friends, as well as big name influencers, et cetera, we get we get the commentary from all of them and it's often pretty bleak. So I feel like that alone means that we have more stress than we did a century ago. Um, what else? Oh, exercise I talked about. And I was thinking, you know, it was inherent in their day. So much so that if anything, the only negative grandma and grandpa did when it came to exercise was, and this really wasn't a negative, but they would avoid it by using as many simple machines as they could because their entire day was filled with exercise and they, they needed to use as many machines as they had access to, or they would never get the work done and would never have the food needed to feed the family. So, um, Exercise was definitely inherent for them. And I also talked, one of the six things was about a strong core and how important that is to our overall health and how I really worked on strengthening my core and my core muscles. Um, And I was thinking, okay, that's definitely different than my grandparents. And I immediately started thinking about my grandmother, how once she reached menopause age, she started looking a lot different in photographs. And she really gained what looks almost like a beer belly, like a really big belly. And she definitely didn't have strong core muscles at that point. And I also was curious, you know, if she was eating all real food and she was getting exercise naturally and leading a good lifestyle, didn't have as much stress as we do today, why did she gain so much weight during her menopause years? So I decided to look that up a little bit. And I promised you back in season one of this, back in episode one of this season, that I would try whenever I could to bring in this idea of menopause to whatever topic we're talking about this season, because so many of you were interested in that. And I found that, I mean, we already know this, obesity definitely does occur more for women once they reach menopause, it's just more likely that they will be obese. And that's has to do a lot with mainly the change in their hormones. But I found a study in the National Library of Medicine, and I'm just going to read a little bit from it. Um, There's a high prevalence of weight gain and higher risk of many diseases related to obesity, especially things like cardiovascular events and cancers during menopause. However, Gaining better understanding of the causes and the mechanisms of weight gain during this time of life suggests that the occurrence of these unfavorable phenomena is not inevitable for women. They can be effectively countered by implementing the principles of a healthy lifestyle. So grandma did have a healthier lifestyle than than we do today, but she didn't have access to so much knowledge that we have at the tip of our fingers. In fact, a lot of the very things that we're going to be breaking down as we work through this whole season, things that grandma just didn't know. And if she did know, she could have done exactly what this study is saying, that women can effectively counterbalance the effects of menopause and can 
stay at a healthy weight for sure if they know the right things to be concerned about, to be watching, and to be doing. I also was thinking about, okay, there definitely were obese people who were farmers back in the 40s. Um, and they were definitely getting plenty of exercise. So what's the difference? And what about today as a homesteader who's, you know, very busy outside, working in the garden, shoveling, using wheelbarrows, doing all that stuff? Do we need to still be focusing on specific exercises and like doing a Pilates routine, doing doing very concentrated specific exercises in addition to all that natural exercise we're getting outside? And the decision I came to for me over the course of the last year, as I've thought through this is I definitely absolutely still need to be doing the focused core work and the focused cardio and the focused exercising. In addition to all that great stuff I'm doing just naturally as part of my day. And the why is because, well, for one thing, like I said about, you know, my grandfather, he, he did everything he could to avoid the extra work and he had to, to be effective. So as a homesteader, you know, obviously I'm going to choose the easier way to get an action done, use whatever tools I can use. And that's smart. Why wouldn't I? But we avoid and don't do certain things or use certain muscles because we need to get more done. We need to really get it done. Right. And we're just, we're not able to focus on all specific groups of muscles just by what we're doing on an everyday basis. Like it's just, you can't, you have to make sure you're focusing on all the different groups of muscles or something's going to get neglected for sure. Like triceps, like what do we do on a regular basis that actually uses our triceps? But our triceps are so important, guys. We have to be able to completely straighten our arm and have the strength when our arms are straight. And we lose that if we're not working our triceps. So that's just one example of many. But for me, a really specific example is I have low back issues because of different car accidents I was in. And that causes extra pain, of course. It also causes me to avoid doing certain things and not do certain things because I know it's going to hurt my low back. And that's good. It's it's really good to protect that area that I know is weak. But it also means I have to do specific concentrated exercises that are strengthening my glutes so that my low back has support. And these are not typical things that I would ever gain as far as strengthening my glute just by what I'm doing on a regular basis. So for me, I discovered um, bridges and doing the bridges with an exercise band and it has done amazing things to strengthen my glutes. And it's crazy how focusing those exercises very intentionally help my overall well-being and my low back issues are pretty much non-existent because of this focused exercise that I would have never gotten otherwise. So I feel like I went on a little tangent there, but hopefully you followed along with me. <laughs> um, oh, also I liked it in that study from where was it? The National Library of Medicine. I liked it that the researchers pointed out I'll just read this too. Um, it is not without significance that the attitude of the women themselves 
make a large difference. Life after menopause can be a time dedicated to the development of their own interests, towards focus on physical activity, and towards the reflection over the way of life and the implementation of their healthy behaviors. And you know, that's true. Because at the same time that our hormones are going crazy, we also tend to have a little bit more time in our schedule. And we tend to be craving that even more at this age, craving the extra time. And it leads to us longing to make changes, longing to really develop our interests, have some interesting hobbies we spend time on to avoid stress, and really reflect over what healthy behaviors we can start adding one by one. So I liked that about that study that they were quick to point that out. All right. So six things I promised you, there are six things I am going to itemize that can help us take back our health, help us improve our BMI. And three of them are about food and three of them are about lifestyle. All of them are doable. First of all, we need to recognize and understand that there are major forces we are battling against that are going to lose money if we start taking back control over our food. And just recognizing this makes a huge difference to realize they are the Goliaths and we are the Davids, but we can do this. Don't let the big guys win, guys. Also, second of all, we need to really, truly value real food. We need to see its value. We need to realize that it is worth more as far as the money we have to spend to obtain it or the work we have to put in to grow it. And we need to truly take to heart that this marketing ploy that has been convincing us for many long decades that convenience is everything, it's a lie. Convenience is not our end goal. It never should be. And convenience is never going to be what is best for us. Third, we really need to recalculate the cost of real food. And I mean that on so many levels. Um, we need to, on the really physical level of money, the cost of the food, we need to figure out where we can cut our expenses in other areas of our life so that we can truly invest in real food. We can truly invest in our family's health. Sometimes you need to get creative. We could, you know, when you go to the store, look for food that's about to expire. Look for the meat that only has a few more days. So they reduced it to three quarters or and they reduced it down to only a quarter of the cost. And get it home and right away cook it up or freeze it. But it's going to save you a lot of money that way. Um, stock up. When the kids were little, we always went to a store that once a year had a can-can sale. And I, even though the girls were young, I think I embarrassed them even back then because I would literally fill up three shopping carts with this food all sorts of canned food. They also had everything else in the store pretty much on sale and anything that had a long shelf life. And it was reduced extremely well on these weeks. I would stock up and I would buy all that I needed for the next year on that one day. Um, don't 
buy impulsively at the store, that also helps save money. If you have a list, you're very intentional and you stick to it, it's going to help you not grab those extra little things that you don't need that aren't on sale that are going to just add up your expenses. And even if it's something really good for you, if it's not on your list and you don't need it, it might just sit there on your counter and go bad anyway. So avoid it. That'll help you save money. And finally, my last tip for saving money on food is buying in bulk, not just at the can-can sale, but literally buying in bulk quantity, whether it's your organic sugar, whether it's your real salt, whether it's wheat berries to grind your own flour, I buy all of those in bulk. And I'm talking huge bulk amount because it saves unbelievable amounts of money. And then have the things you need to be able to store them effectively. Like I said in the beginning, the smart lids that are on sale right now with my special code from True Leaf Market, they're amazing because they make it very easy to get in and out of your large 25-gallon buckets that are food-grade buckets, and you can keep them stored in a convenient place in your basement, your garage, you know, if you don't have a root cellar, wherever, and just twist off the lid, have easy access, and you can have a huge amount of all those things. Popcorn's another thing. Rice. So many things that I only buy in a huge amount because it saves so much. And the place that I go, by the way, for almost everything that I buy in bulk like that is Azure Standard. I know that they are going to be the best quality. I know they're going to be organic or well-sourced food and their prices. Every single time when I go to do a price comparison, they always turn out to be the best prices too when you're buying in the bulk sizes. And a lot of the things they sell in bulk, you can't find elsewhere in bulk. So it's a great company, a great source. Go to my show notes and I will link there where you can find out more about Azure Standard and find out if they deliver to your area by just putting in your zip code. Okay. Now, the three things, the three tips I have for you that are changing your lifestyle. First of all, make yourself get outside. Guys, we don't do this enough today. None of us do. Um, there's so much value to being outside, the fresh air, how good it is for your attitude, for your outlook, for any anxiety that you have. Just we are wired to be in nature. We are meant to be in nature and we block ourselves off from it. Like the only amount of somebody, I heard somebody say just today, the only amount of nature most people get is what it takes to walk from their front door to their car and back. And they do it maybe once a day. It's so sad, but it's true. So make yourself get outside. Also by getting outside, you're probably going to be exercising, right? And try to do it as a family, encourage the kids. If it's something they get used to at a young age, they're always going to crave it. They're always going to strive for being outside and having time in nature, no matter what their age. And it's just high quality family time for sure. Also make yourself leave your phone somewhere else for some portion of your day. Um, I highly recommend for teens who have phones and all adults to leave your phone in the kitchen when you go to bed or even an hour or two before bedtime plug it in, let it charge, let it stay there and have no temptation to be looking at that screen. Um, 
when you go for a walk, you might need to take it with you for security reasons. You might want to have a way to contact people if you need it, but leave it in your pocket and tell yourself, I am not taking this phone out of my pocket until I am back home. Like make a commitment to yourself because you care about yourself and you know you need screen-free time. Also, make exercise a non-negotiable priority. Don't cop out and give yourself that excuse. Well, I shoveled some compost today, so I got my exercise. Remember that you really need to take care of all of your muscle groups and you really need to make sure you're getting some cardio and you should be doing those things daily. So make it a priority. And last episode, actually, I talked about how a very simple way that you can use a calendar as a tool to make sure exercise is a priority. So do it. And also keep in mind, it can just be 10 minutes a day. That helped me a lot to tell myself it was a requirement that I could not cop out on, but it was okay if it was just 10 minutes some days. So that might help you because I know it helped me a lot. So that's it for today. That is my list of six thoughts of very doable things we can do to truly improve our health. And all the different links, check out your BMI. Um, Go definitely check out True Leaf and that special. And the different studies that I mentioned, the scientific studies, all those links are going to be found in the show notes or go to solelyrested.com. And in the search bar at the top, put S5E3, and that will take you right to the show notes for this episode, along with lots more information detailed for you there more so than show notes would be. And a link to, if you're listening to this, to the video, if you'd rather watch it and vice versa. Okay. So if you are concerned about your BMI and you know, you definitely could be eating better. You're not really sure where to start, what it should look like. Join me next week. Every Monday morning, a new episode is coming out. Next week's episode is going to be about real food choices we can make that genuinely help us lose weight. And that's something that was mind blowing to me because you don't think of food or drink ever as being something that's going to help you lose weight because, right, you have to count those calories, right? No, there are choices you can make that genuinely will help with losing weight. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening, friends. I would love it if you go and leave a five-star review on your podcast player that you like to listen to. Um, If you go to Apple Podcasts, that will greatly help the algorithms and help me reach a few more people with this encouragement that I'm offering this season and that I'm so excited about what's coming up. And um, I would love to hear from you if you have favorite tips about ways that you have improved your BMI, ways that you have decided to implement healthier lifestyle please reach out to me over on Instagram. I would love to share your encouragements with my followers there. So don't hesitate, please. I always love hearing tips and tricks from you guys. And I will catch up with you here on the next episode of the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast. And remember, it is easy to forget, guys, how blessed we are to live this life. So enjoy the simple everyday efforts. Because I know it's not easy, but it is such a good life.